Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with Aaron Holt, Functional Nutritionist. I work with clients on the seacoast of New Hampshire and virtually all over the world through both private consultations and online nutrition programs. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Mayorana, registered dietitian of Root Down Nutrition based in Asheville, North Carolina. We are both board-certified integrative and functional nutritionists. This means we dive deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, food, and nutrition, discussing our research, clinical experience, and life experience. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or medical treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hey guys, it's Erin. We're back with another show and today I'm really, really excited about my guest. I'm going to be interviewing Jessica Flanagan and I know you guys have heard me mention her a bunch on the show before. Um, I'm currently studying underneath her in her spiritual coaching certification program, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Uh, But Jessica, to introduce you guys to her, Jessica Flanagan is an authority on the autoimmune paleo movement and well beyond it. For 20 years, she has been a clinical nutritionist and has worked extensively in private practice with medical doctors, chiropractors, acupuncturists, and body workers. She's the author of The Loving Diet, which she created to help clients have a more comprehensive plan for healing. Using loving as a way to better health, The Loving Diet is a revolutionary approach to healing. Now, I first heard about Jessica. I was listening to a podcast and she was interviewed on it and it was like, the angels were singing to me. I I just so resonated with everything she was saying and immediately started consuming all of the content I could get from her. So I um, got her book right away. I had just been diagnosed with scleroderma. I was really sick. I was in a bad place. And the book really gave me the tools to pull myself out of a, of a, a dark hole, honestly. So um, I I resonate with her work so much. And I eventually started working with her privately. And um, this is a quote that I pulled from her website because it, it just highlights so much of what I experienced in working with her and what she's taught me. That illness is a way of broadening our understanding of this field of potential that surrounds each of us as humans. When we turn toward the wholeness of who we are, then fixing is no longer needed. And for somebody like myself who has spent so much of her life trying to fix herself, this was major for me. This was pivotal. I would say without Jessica's work, I I would still see myself as a broken person and I would still be trying to fix myself. Um, And when it comes to this whole functional medicine, functional nutrition world, whatever you want to call it, particularly when it comes to the microbiome and autoimmunity. She is one of the smartest, most well-rounded, well-researched people out there. She's worked with thousands upon thousands of clients. And Jessica, I'm always blown away by your scope of knowledge. You always teach me something. Um, And as, you know, somebody who values science and evidence-based claims, I appreciate that. I appreciate how well-researched you are, but I also really value how much you emphasize the energy medicine and spirituality and going beyond just the food and just the diets and just the supplements. So welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to have you here. Wow, Erin. Thank you so much. What an introduction. (laughs) That was a good one. (laughs) I'm a huge fan of your podcast and of you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to be here. It's like sort of trippy because you're definitely a celebrity in my eyes. I mean, I was saying to you before we started recording, not so much anymore because I know you. We've shared a house for Pete's sake, but um, but it's it's very surreal. Like three years ago, if you told me I would have been interviewing Jessica Flanagan on my podcast, I would have been like, you're crazy. Um, So let's let's dive into some of the questions that we've got lined up because I really want everybody to get to experience everything that you have to say because you shine such a light on places and you bring up things that really aren't being talked about. So the first place I want to start is with this whole idea of pursuing health. Um, It's been said that wellness culture is the new diet culture. And so instead of pursuing skinny, which, you know, obviously so many of us are still doing that. 
but we're also pursuing health. Like health is the thing. It's almost become this elite status. How healthy can you be? And you recently, a couple of weeks ago, posted something on your Instagram saying, what if you stopped pursuing health? And I would love for you to expand on that and tell us what you meant by that. Because I think for so many people to stop pursuing health might feel like a loss of identity. It's like the thing that we do. Yeah. So, uh, wow, let's just dig right in. (laughs) That's a huge question. Um, And before before I answer that, um, I'm just going to say one thing, which is everybody who is listening right now, um, some of this might be completely different than what they've heard before. And I'm going to just ask if people might consider for the next hour, however long we're going to be talking, Erin, that they right now as they're listening to my voice consider that everything is here to help you in some way all of the suffering and the yucky stuff and the hard things that are happening in your body maybe with your profession or your career along with all of the really bright and shiny things and that everybody will sort of put themselves into a certain kind of alignment even as we do this podcast and and just be open to everything that we're going to talk about today and then see what they notice that's happening in their body. So I'll, I'll say that first. <clears throat> Maybe we can just kind of try it as an experiment with everybody. Um, so let's talk about that pursuing wellness. Um, well, when we pursue something, then we're actually going after it. Um, and that's a really common thing and it's really promoted as the stronger you are, the healthier you're going to become. Um, and everybody thinks, well, you know, like there's practical pieces, which is I don't eat a diet uh, that is maybe nutrient dense. So I'm going to pursue that healing diet. So when I'm talking about all of this, we want to make sure that I'm not suggesting that we're not practical. We want to be practical and, uh, and we want to make choices that are really aligned with ourselves. But the biggest thing here is, is that are we making uh, these choices out of lack or out of abundance? And so pursuing health is a movement that is a sort of a promotes this deeper questioning inside of us, which is, am I going after this nutrient dense diet because there's something wrong with me? Or am I going after this nutrient dense diet because I feel uh, so much abundance. It just feels right to me in my heart. Um, and so a lot of times when we ask that question, it can sort of uh, separate which, which area we're coming from. And so pursuing wellness means A, that we go outside of ourselves to get it, which a lot of times has limitations. And B, we do it out of the belief that we have inside of ourselves that something's wrong or that we need to fix something. And those are the two things that uh, I really suggest people consider when they're looking at what am I pursuing and why? That's, um, that gives me a lot to think about. So I, I like how you brought up the whole idea of what's practical. So it's not like we're saying, oh, we'll just stop eating healthy and just, you know, ho-hos and Twinkies are fine. Don't pursue health. We're keeping the practical like, well, I need to make choices that support my body, but I'm doing it out of a place of of love and abundance versus out of place, out of a place of lack and uh, need and feeling like I'm broken and feeling like I need to be fixed. Yeah. Autoimmune right? paleo taught me that is one of the cool things, um, even though I've moved really beyond it. Uh, because the diet has so many limitations. Um, But autoimmune paleo helped me see that because um, it is a diet that a lot of people who are scared go on. Rightfully so, right? They get a scary diagnosis uh, or, you know, their doctor tells them that this is a really integral part of their healing. And and all of that might be true, um, but there's a different part of it, which is um, when we choose a specific kind of eating plan, out of a a lack place, which is I'm super scared, then that's different than choosing a way of eating out of, wow, I feel really aligned with this and it seems like the right movement inside of myself. 
So those are two different ways. And, and autoimmune paleo has that little bit of a starkness because it's not like the beginning of the year diet when someone says, hey, I you know, kind of ate a lot over the holidays and you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna eat clean for a couple of months. It's a way different, if you know, people lean into that vibration, it's way different. Autoimmune paleo ha tends to have a lot of stuff around it, serious stuff, scary stuff. Yeah, and this could be said, I mean, this could absolutely be said in true for illness, any chronic illness, autoimmunity, but the same exact principles can be applied because not all of our listeners are ha have chronic illness. Um, some of our listeners are just trying to escape the diet mentality in the same exact principles can be applied to approaching diets um, just to lose weight too. Yeah. Um, and evaluating. So how do you help people evaluate that? Or like, you know, I think that can be a hard, hard thing to do for yourself. Okay. Am I coming from this, this from a place of practicality or am I coming from this, from a place of lack? How do you know the, the whole lack versus abundance thing for yourself? Well, one is, is everybody who's listening to this right now can ask themselves, how is it that I'm choosing to eat right now? And then they can lean into themselves and their body and what they're experiencing in their body to get great information. And so if their stomach tightens up or their throat tightens up or they feel like a sense of, I gotta go faster, I have to do more, you know, those are all feelings that uh, are great information. Um, so the other part is if, you know, if you feel a sense of calmness or warmth or relaxation inside your body, that can also be a really great piece of information. And so remember all those things that we feel in our body our information, not our identity. Um, so let's use it all as information because everything that we need is already uh, right at hand. One Every thing. Sorry, so, um, one thing that you've said. Well, I want to I want to highlight what you just said. That what we're feeling in our body, and this is probably true both physically, what we're physically feeling in our body, and also what we're emotionally feeling in our body is information, right? It's not necessarily something to be scared of or attach our identity to or even attach judgment to. It's just information for us to pay attention to. Is that fair to say? Yes. And so one thing that you've said in the past is that every diet has a shelf life, every single one. And so we know that there's no one diet, right? There's no one one diet that's going to fix and save everybody. And the same can be true for healing protocols. There is no one healing protocol. Like there's no one gut healing protocol. So how is this part of how you help your clients figure out their own healing? Because I know the the work that you do with clients is to really help them um, figure out what's right for them. And so is part of it accessing what's going on within their own body? Yeah, so you can do that uh, from a spiritual sense and an emotional sense, and then we can also do it through a physical sense. Um, and so much research has come out, especially over the last five years, that show that our thoughts influence our DNA, for instance, um, or that um, our emotions and our thoughts inform our cells. Um, but then there's this other part too, which is we have had so much microbiome research that's come forward and genetic research that is showing us that we can take a deeper look at what's going on at our gut, on our gut brain axis at the intestinal mucosal layer. Um, and then also what genetic SNPs that we have to really customize, uh, customize everything. And that really wasn't available six years ago when autoimmune paleo first started, for instance. We were still kind of stabbing in the dark um, of, oh, oh, you're inflamed, let's put you on an inflamed diet, kind of, you know, an anti-inflammatory diet. So we, we see this now um, where we're evolving past that through personalized medicine. It's a fantastic progression I've, I've seen in science. What, um, if now I, I know that you work with, um, you have clients bring you labs. Are there certain tests that you really especially love to start to gather some of this data to help, um, to help create a individualized plan for somebody? Yes. So some of the tests that I really like, uh, one is, is an organic acid test from Great Plains. Cause I think it looks at 52 different metabolic processes. 
And what it does is it looks at what got into the cell and actually did something, which I think is the coolest thing. Cause you know, we can take vitamin C all day long, but if we have a genetic SNP that prevents, or let's say we have a genetic SNP for zinc. So we can take a, something like the organics acid test and we can look at what actually got into the cell and did something. Um, and, and then use some genetic testing on top of it, like the mthfrsupport.com. Um, Sterling is amazing. And she's created that incredible variant report. So you can test your microbiome, look at your organics acid test, and then do some genetic testing. And that's a pretty phenomenal place to start, to start customizing, oh, what are the genetic SNPs unique to you, which might mean that you need a little bit more zinc than the average person. You know, what, are, what oh, and by the way, you do better with slightly more carbohydrates or genetically you have a disposition not to be able to use fat metabolically. You know, so all of those things are incredibly important for us to know so that we can take the guesswork out of how to figure out how to eat. Now, um, I know this question is going to come up because I get asked a lot about this. What do you think about the 23andMe test? Because now that, like, that's a direct-to-consumer test. Anybody can get that. And what I see is that people will do the test and get this printout of all these variants, and it just really ratchets up the fear like oh my god first of all i'm super overwhelmed with all this information i don't know what any of it means and it looks like i have all of these potential health problems yeah it's can be really scary uh and so i would say two is don't do 23 and me do a different one <laughs> <clears throat> and then the other one i'd say too is get an alias you know i know it sounds weird but that information goes out into the ethers so, you know, you can just buy, uh, you know, you, you, can, you can go out and buy like a debit card and just do an alias name so that your, your information really stays anonymous because uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the future and who's going to buy what companies. And, and 23andMe sold out, unfortunately. Um, and on the 23andMe, you can decide if you want the scary genetic SNPs, the Alzheimer's, for instance, the breast cancer genes. Um, and that's a personal thing. Some people feel better with more information and some people feel better with less information. I'm a person who feels better with less because my mind would ruminate on that. Well, it's funny that you say that because I recently went to my rheumatologist and I was like, hey doc, what's the diagnostic criteria for scleroderma? The thing that you diagnosed me with like four years ago, what is that? And he's like, so um, there actually isn't any for scleroderma, first of all. And I was like, okay, great, <laughs> super. And he was like, it might've just been better if we had never done any of that testing in the first place. And I was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, maybe. It could have really reduced my anxiety. Um, okay, so you were, you're, so you're saying you really like to see organic acids test. You had mentioned the microbiome, so something like a GI map. I know you like that one quite a bit and then some DNA testing. And you, what did you say, Sterling? Um, yeah, the Sterling apper. She's the one who started mthfrsupport.com where you can upload your raw genetic data. And it, it, it looks at so many cool things like SNPs about clotting and immunoglobulins, methylation, allergy, mold. Some people, for instance, have SNPs that they don't detox mold or they, their liver pathways aren't robust, so they might need extra help. And you know, the, it's cool that you said that, Erin, about the scleroderma and your doctor, because as people are listening to this, it's, you know, they might, their minds might be wandering a little bit. And, and so uh, one, piece, one piece of uh, information here that might be really helpful is, is it's, a lot of times we go into self-judgment. So then we go into self-judgment about, oh, I did 23andMe wrong, or I already got 23andMe, or, you know, I'm gonna get my genetic SNPs done, and but I don't wanna get the scary SNPs. And so we go right into self-judgment. Um, and so that's really important here is that uh, the wellness world is uh, saturated with subtle judgment uh, applications. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to look for the right word um, about how we do wellness. You know, so remember when I went to Italy last summer and I decided okay. I was going to eat gluten and dairy? And boy, did I get a lot of hate mail. People freaked out. Yeah. 
I was like, wait, isn't everybody supposed to be excited that I can eat gluten and dairy? Is it, isn't this like an accomplishment? Like, look how well I've healed my gut. And, um, and so that was pretty funny. Uh, it, was, it was sad and it was slightly scary for me also. It rattled me because um, I was so surprised by it. Uh, and so that's just one example of um, the way that we have judgment of like, oh, you're, you're not healing right. Oh, Okay. You know, so what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with that message when I hear that on social media that I'm not healing right? And so it's always a really great indicator of let me go inside and clean up any places that I have inside of myself where I feel like I'm not healing right. You know what I think also happens is that, you know, the people that are giving giving you the, the kickback, so to speak, I think when we when we work so hard on our healing and we feel like we're making so many sacrifices whether that is food or otherwise and we see somebody not doing it i think it can trigger something within us because it's like hey hey look how hard i'm working it's not fair that other people don't have to work this hard and i think sometimes judgment can come out of that place too yeah um Okay, so you mentioned that the wellness world is saturated and you were talking about something something differently, but it's also saturated in another sense where there are um, many, many, many practitioners and health coaches and all that sort of stuff. And now you're talking about some high-level tests that produce a lot of data and you kind of would need a really experienced clinician or practitioner to help you weed through some of that data. And so I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately because, um, because functional medicine and functional nutrition is gaining in popularity, which is a good thing. In my opinion, it's a good thing, but there can be a lot of potentially misuse of the terminology. I think a lot of people are throwing around the term medicine. This is something you and I talked about when we were in Santa Fe together, where, you know, I've seen functional medicine specialist or functional medicine health coach. And I think from a consumer or patient or client standpoint, um, it can be a really scary place where inexperienced people are using the word medicine. I mean, that's personally something that I'm very conscientious about. I, I'm not a doctor. I didn't go to med school. I'm not an MD. Um, so in my opinion, I shouldn't be throwing around the word medicine willy nilly when it comes to my practice. That's not what I do. Um, I actually had a health coach recently tell me that she um, she didn't have any experience. She'd only worked with a, a handful of clients, but one of her specialties, quote unquote specialties, was heavy metal toxicity. And I was like, wow, that is a really serious thing for somebody with little to no experience to advertise themselves as an expert on. Um, so I know that you're always working with other skilled practitioners. So I would love to hear your advice um, to people listening on how to find those skilled practitioners what would what what should people be on the lookout for if somebody did want to get out get these testing and find more more out about themselves and their physiology what should they be on the lookout for or what should be red flags when it comes to seeking out a practitioner god is that the million dollar question or what yeah <laughs> um i get asked that question all the time uh and i think ultimately it's a, an opportunity for people to use their discernment and also it can feel like a needle in a haystack. So I have personally found people, uh, I've, been in, I've been doing this for a while, so I have found people that stand out to me clinically and Detis Karazian is one of them, where he didn't just say that this is good and maybe consider doing your practice like this, for instance, like talking about oral tolerance, he actually has thousands of clients and been on the front lines of clinical medicine for years and years and years. Um, so that's one thing is, is find the people who have been doing it and actually have a ton of clinical experience because nothing can prepare you for the rigors of being on the front lines of, uh, of, of what happens and, and how to gain your footing when you are. The second thing is, is that just because someone studies at the Institute of Functional Medicine does not guarantee that they know what they're doing. Uh, sorry to say that. I mean, I've, 
I've just had too many people go in and, you know, they feel like the doctors are just doing cookie cutter protocols. Um, you want to find someone who takes, who individualizes everything that they do. Um, and I realize people need to make money, but you know, by the time people find me, they've spent thousands of dollars sometimes going to a, you know, a medical doctor who just went to the Institute of Functional Medicine and then charges them $20,000 to become a patient. You know, and so like, that's hard. So we are in the wild, wild west. The wild, wild west. And there's this really weird gray, blurry area between what is nutrition and what is medicine. And so now we see doctors becoming nutritionists. 20 years ago when I started this, there were no nutritionists. You were considered not legit if you were a nutritionist. Only dietitians were. And wow, how far have we come? So I think it's personal. You have to go out. You have to ask people who helped you and why um, and look at their training. And then just, uh, you know, how many clients have they seen? How much clinical work? have they done? And this is a, an issue that I see in autoimmune um, paleo, by the way, a huge issue in autoimmune paleo. You know, like, oh, can you be an authority on a diet that treats disease and you've never had a clinical practice? I don't oh. know. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It's like, you don't even need to be like a wellness expert. You, all you need is an Instagram handle these days. It's like, I have an Instagram account and now I'm going to give out health advice, which is it's kind of like Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. And when it comes to people's health, that is an extraordinary responsibility. Well, um, yeah. It's, so tribalism is really big right now in politics and tribalism is really big in wellness and tribalism means, you know, so we, we feel good and it feels awesome inside of ourselves to have community. So we want to, we want to do that. Right. But then there's this other thing, which is especially um, identifiable in, with millennials, which is that um, leaders, uh, like lifestyle leaders, who might just be a life coach or just someone who had a disease and, and you know, was able to heal themselves, and they, t uh, they, they become tribalism leaders, not because of their experience, but because of their power. So they might have, they might have a really uh, organized social media and so now we've gone into this place where tribalism is defining who is an authority in a health movement, and it's not based on experience necessarily. It might be just based on the power that they hold. They're a best-selling author. They have a million Instagram followers. Do you see what I'm saying? I, I, I know. Don't... No, this is making so much sense to me. It's something I recently just talked about in a workshop. This came up, and it's something that people need to hear. So I'm so glad you brought it up because what we're seeing is just exactly you said somebody healed themselves or somebody lost 30 pounds and now they're the expert on everybody else losing weight or somebody healed their SIBO or somebody healed leaky gut and now they're going to go out and start a blog and tell everybody else how to do it and to me that just conveys such lack of experience because everybody is so stinking different everybody's going to respond so differently and just because you did something for yourself does not now make you an expert for everybody else's body. Yeah, I just saw this happen on a very, very, very popular spiritual leader for millennials um, Instagram page, and she cured herself of SIBO and wrote a post about it. I went through it. I was like, oh, God, <laughs> <laughs> you went on proton pump inhibitors, but not everybody should. And, you know, and so I was oh, like, God. so it's a, a perfect example of what we're seeing is, um, you know, uh, armchair experts. Yeah, that's a good way to that's a good way to phrase it. Um, and so I like what you said about um, sort of a red flag is if if physicians or uh, practitioners or whatever are putting everybody on the same protocol. That is a red flag. That's something to probably avoid because we know people, we have to take in into in, consideration everybody's individual context. One thing you said a, a while back was um, you mentioned oral tolerance. And that's, I don't think that's something that I've talked about on this show. I don't know. I, I was thinking it's not really something that I need to get into with my audience. It's something you've been talking about for a very long time. 
but I am starting now to see an increasing amount of clients come to me who aren't tolerating many foods. So I'm going to back up for a second and say that my average client isn't coming to me eating the standard American diet, right? Most are already pretty health conscious. They're health savvy. They've been on lots of different diets in the past, either for weight loss purposes or healing reasons. Um, so it's not like, so they've been doing, whether it's like a healing protocol or something else, there's some, some type of restriction embedded in there. And so they come to me and they're like, yeah, so I can only eat five foods or I can only tolerate 10 foods or 15 foods or whatever. And I know this has really become one of your specialties because you see it so frequently. And of course, it's going to be a case by case scenario, just like we were talking about on how, how exactly to approach this with individuals. But can you explain a little bit about the concept of oral tolerance, um, why it's such a problem, you know, where it comes from? And then if you do find yourself in the position of being like, I have 10 foods I can eat, like what, what are the first steps toward, toward rectifying that? Because what I see is that people come to me with restrictive diets, they can't tolerate foods, and then they think restriction is the way out. So it's this like horrible cycle that never really gets better. Well, so first is, is that there's something there for each of those people that are feeling that something for their benefit. The other thing is, is that if anybody who's listening to this is down to 10 foods or 15 foods and they see anywhere that that's, you're just uncovering what your true food sensitivities are, they've been told a lie. Okay. So I, that's a really important thing is that it is not normal to be a human on this planet and only be able to eat 15 foods. And so uh, you're not wrong in being upset about where you're at. So you, so there's some misinformation that's probably gotten, gone trickled down through your healing care plan. Um, because tolerance is, it's a big question of like, why, why are so many people having an issue with tolerance? Um, I have a couple of theories about this. Uh, you know, so we, we, what, what is tolerance? It's tolerance is our immune system responding appropriately. And we are pretty much having an epidemic of people's immune systems not responding appropriately. So we know that the loss of self tolerance leads to autoimmune disease. Now, my own personal belief about this is, is that um, in the modern world that we live in today, we have, most of us have been on antibiotics a couple of times. We also, that creates low diversity. And then you have to pile in environmental factors. So all the chemicals that we're exposed to that take a toll at the gut mucosal level and the emergence of antibiotic resistant bacteria. Okay, so we're having sort of like this perfect storm that is, from my perspective, spiritually, it's an amazing jumping off point because it creates this uh, situation where people feel like they have nothing left to do. And I was like, oh, great. So you, that's great because if you feel like you have nothing left to do, then there's uh, sometimes more of a willingness for people to start looking on the inside at the places that hurt. Um, so that's a spiritual perspective. But so when you a, say nothing left to do, like I've tried it all and nothing has worked or like I've tried it all before. Is that yes. what you mean? Okay. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm willing to surrender to looking at the places inside of me that hurt because I just crossed everything off the list of things that I can do to go outside of myself. So when we look at the practical things, the physiological things, antibiotic resistance is a big thing. Um, and so we're starting to see that this is happening at a chronic level inside people's guts. So what I see in autoimmune paleo world, or at least with my clients who are down to 10 foods, is that oftentimes there's a, a, a lot of inflammatory triggers. So there's cross-reaction between bacterial and viral antigens, for instance, from their Klebsiella pneumoniae that's growing in their gut because we did a stool test to see that, that's actually cross-reacting to food antigens. Um, and so what happens is we kind of get caught in this um, cycle of things keep you inflamed. It keeps you in the inflammatory cycle. And, uh, and so we have to remove those triggers. And that diet alone doesn't do heavy enough lifting to heal the gut mucosa, contrary to popular belief. That is such a huge take-home point right there because so many of us are trying to heal through diet. And it's great for those of us that work. It's like if we can remove the big triggers, you know, like 
you know, you think of the people that just go like gluten and dairy free and all their problems are solved. It's wonderful. But for so many people, it's not as simple as that. And so what we're sort of taught to do in the wellness world is just keep like further restricting, just like keep removing the foods, keep like diet harder. Right. And we can be when, doing ourselves a big disservice. Yeah. When actually restriction is uh, contributing to the problem because then we lose diversity and then our body, when our body loses diversity, then it doesn't know what to, it loses its ability to respond appropriately to, uh, oh, I'm gonna respond, I'm gonna respond to this bacteria and then it gets confused and it actually just starts responding to thyroid tissue. This is a massive issue that is facing us. Um, and when we get exposed to the environmental chemicals that we are through living in the modern world, EMFs, pesticides, chemicals that act like estrogens, those all contribute. Um, and so it, what's really cool is, is that there are some amazing people who are seeing this coming and they're creating products and ways for us to identify them and also help. So help us detox Roundup out of our gut. Um, help us get rid of Klebsiella. You know, so we have things and there's, um, I don't know if everybody's heard of the book Herbal Antibiotics by um, Stephen um, Buhner. That's an amazing book that really addresses this. You know, I would not go on anything that he says without consulting with your doctor. Um, but there are some people that are starting to have this kind of forward thinking. Uh, you know, Zach who invented Restore, you know, Biocidin is another one that I love. I think it's incredible. Um, so there are starting, and then me with the, you know, the spiritual practice piece that are saying, wow, okay, we understand what's happening here and we're going to deepen, we're going to, we're going to go, you know, deep nutrition here. Okay. So, um, I want to back up a step and, and stick with that restriction piece because how, you know, you were talking before about practicality, being practical with our choices, but also not come from a place of lack. And I can't help but think of the restrictive diets, not from a caloric standpoint, which is what we talk about so much on this show, but more for like, you know, I'm thinking low FODMAP, low oxalates. I just had a question come in about lectins. Um, all of these, these components within plants that might cause some of us to react and they may, they might cause they might be some triggers for some of us, right? I, I had an herbalist on the show a couple of times, and one thing that she mentioned both times that she's on is how powerful plants are and how humans exist in harmony with plants. And I absolutely adore that message. Um, and most of our listeners really liked that as well. So we, we have practitioners talking about how important plant variety is within the diet. Like you're just talking about our body thrives on diversity, and yet, we we have all of these quote unquote healing therapeutic diets that are very restrictive and remove so much of the plants. So how do we align these two seemingly contradictory ideas that plants are here to heal us and to help us, but then chemicals within plants are making us sick? Because I know this is a big, a big question mark for a lot of people. Yeah, well, they do, they, they help. So all those plant fibers grow the microbiome and that's incredibly, restorative to the gut mucosa. The other part though is, is that from how I see it is um, from a spiritual perspective, which is let's take that word variety that you just said. Um, we're open to being having variety in our healthcare plan. Like I'm gonna have a variety of supplements that I take. I'm gonna have a variety of practitioners. I'm gonna have a variety in my diet. But are we applying that then having a lot of variety with the love that we're showing ourselves? Are we considering that variety from a spiritual perspective can actually help ourselves and help our DNA? And, and so uh, when we went, what I see too is, is that all of us being stuck in that place of feeling like we're not quite sure what the next first step is to get out of that restricted place of only having eating 10 foods, the first thing I would say is everybody right now can ask themselves the question, Am I putting my loving and having a variety of my loving inside of myself to all the places that are hurting? And oftentimes that alone can help us get unstuck with what is the first step. 
All right. So the loving thing we have to, <laughs> we have to talk about it now. Self-love is a very trendy concept. Everybody's talking about it. Right. And I think everyone would agree that they want more self-love. They want to be more loving toward themselves, but having it, um, wanting it and having it are very different, two different things. Um, what was so when I was asking one of the, the, the gals that's in our, um, coaching program right now, she had said that when she first read your book, The Loving Diet, um, the reason I'm bringing this up now, because I feel like some people are going to agree with this statement um, after hearing you just say that, she knew she was onto something, right? She's like, this sounds good. This sounds like something I want to do, but I don't know what to do with it. I, d I don't know how to, I don't know what to do with this information, right? Um, and she said, and I loved what she said, is that she tried to love her way right through things and not feel the hard emotion. So if I can just love myself or love this, I don't have to feel the, the quote unquote bad things. So how do we access this loving? How do we, how do we love the places that hurt inside? And does it mean that we don't have to feel the hard things when we do that? Well, a lot of that is, so the first thing is, is that everybody can remember that choice and intention are vehicles of transformation. And so if everybody is here listening and saying, yep, I totally get that self-love thing, but I don't even know what the first thing to do is. So I'm going to say that you can make a choice to become more aware of it and we can intend to understand more about that. But I would be remiss to say that without talking a little bit about belief systems, most of which are unconscious. And so most of what, how everybody is choosing their healthcare plan right now is based on uncon unconscious beliefs. And so, uh, and so the universe uh, is built on unconditional loving and it can only support what we believe. So when we make the choice and we have the intention to, uh, you know, universe, I'd like to know, I'm making the choice here that I'm going to take the very first step to uncovering different ways I can be more with myself in this hard place that feels like suffering, um, you know, maybe for scleroderma. Um, then what happens is, is that when we make the choice and we have the intention to understand something more, is there something here for me that I don't quite see? then we're actually giving permission to the universe to show up in a way that it can start giving you um, experiences so that you can start doing that. So it's not like we're going to get a, a letter in our mailbox that's going to say, here are the 10 things that you need to do for self-loving, because that's still using the mind to love ourselves, which is really difficult. Um, then what we do is we, we uh, can work with somebody that can help us understand what our unconscious beliefs are. And these are things that I see constantly, which is I have to try hard to heal. It's not safe to be vulnerable. Um, I feel important for these are, this is for all the nutritionists out there. I feel important when my clients heal. Those are all limiting beliefs. Um, and so when we choose and intend to start recognizing what our unconscious beliefs are, then remember the universe and its unconditional loving of us is going to give us a reality that supports that. And so then we can count on life is going to start giving us experiences where we're going to start uncovering that. And they could be in anything. Usually they're, uh, in a, you know, self-guided, like it shows up through something that happens in your job or your relationship or an interaction that you have with your doctor or on social media you know, that will all help start giving you the next thing that's going to show up to have you have a deeper understanding about what it is that you believe. When I work with my clients, though, um, you know, that's the, I just dive into that where I start uh, uncovering beliefs that my clients have just by asking them certain questions like, oh, you, you know, you lost your job when you were 21 and that was really traumatic for you and your rheumatoid arthritis developed right after that what what was that experience like for you to lose your job and most importantly what did you decide about your life through having that experience so when I work with my clients I, it's more pointed you know I know exactly how to go in there and work with the consciousness 
when people are just listening, like, oh, I'm listening to this podcast. How can I understand what my unconscious bias are? Well, we make the choice and in, in the intention too, and that will start unraveling it for you. So it just starts by making a choice and setting the intention to do so. Yeah. And then we can also do things like, oh, you know, uh, what kind of belief system am I working in? Am I working? I, I talk a lot about this in my um, spiritual coaching class and then also in my own uh, professional work, which is the difference between doing and being and um, how uh, a lot of what's happening in wellness is about doing and not actually being. And so everybody who's listening to this can get out a piece of paper and they can put doing on one piece of paper and being on the other and they can start noticing how it is that they go about their own life in the doing versus being because it's an epidemic that I see, especially when we're diagnosed with diseases that are really scary, that I need to be somewhere else. I need to be chasing the perfect diet. I need to be chasing the perfect body, the perfect supplements. Let me get it just right so healing happens. When we say that to ourselves, let me get it just right. Let me get the right lineup of supplements and practitioners and lab work. And as soon as I get it all lined up in the perfect way, then healing's gonna happen. That means you have to go outside of yourself to go do that and find it, and that's exhausting. I mean, I, we ask everybody right now who's listening, how many people ra can raise their hands right now who are tired of trying to find healing? Well, I'll, I'll raise my hand. Yeah. <laughs> I feel tired. I, I feel tired. <laughs> yeah, versus the being, which is everything that we're sort of talking about in this podcast episode. You know, so, and the difference is, is that being sends a different kind of message, which is where I am right now is useful and purposeful or there's something here right now for me, for me. You know, or let me be completely with all the parts of myself, uh, all of them, the parts that hurt and the parts that feel really good. And when we're completely with all the parts of ourselves, that was actually profoundly healing, both to our emotional body, our spiritual body, and uh, to our genetics. And it's so hard to do because where, when you're feeling bad physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever, it's so hard to just say, you know what, I'm going to sit with myself. I'm just going to be with myself and I'm going to love myself as is rather than go into fix it mode. I have to do something to get myself out of this. Um, it's so challenging. But one of the, the things that um, you've helped me do working with you, but really more so through through our coaching certification program is um, examining not so much why is that like framing the question not why is this happening to me but why is this happening for me and I just keep uncovering all of these beliefs about myself that I've had for that have just dictated the way that I live my life and the way I interact with people in my life and the way I interact with my body and the way I interact with food and the way I interact with healing and it's so crazy um, to think you said most of our, you know, most of our decisions are made from our, our, our unconscious mind that like, it's crazy to think that these beliefs that we might not even be aware of are really running the show. And so I know it's frustrating to be like, well, I just want to lose. I don't want to like, think about all this stuff. I just want to get better. I just want to feel better. I just want to lose 10 pounds, but it's like, you can chase the, like the perfect healing scenario all you want, but until you sit still, until you start to be with yourself, I mean, I just don't, I don't know how, I don't know how people do it without the work that you're doing, honestly. So I'll give you one of the first steps that I took in my own life to help with this. So um, I still grapple with um, like viruses and sickness that run through my house you know, or like parasites or like, you know, I live with four teenage girls, so lice, <laughs> lice uh. has been an issue. And so I have always grappled with this. Um, and so I remember the first time that I took a step, because see what happened is, is that I found myself obsessing about germs. And so the first thing I wanted to do was just fix that part of myself that obsesses about germs and sickness. And that just didn't work. It made me so tired and I kept, kept denying this part of myself 
And so what I did was I started admiring and appreciating the part of myself that is scared about germs and sickness. So every time I started to feel myself getting itchy or like cranky about like wanting, needing to wash my hands or keep the house clean or, you know, using disinfectants to, you know, uh, mitigate issues, um, I started going into deeply appreciating and admire the part of myself that was kind of obsessed with germs. And that was, uh, that was how I came to peace with it. And so we can also do that with our belief system and like fixing. And so all of us who are listening to this, you know, like, oh, I can appreciate and admire the part of myself that wants to fix my illness. And oftentimes that's the very first step, which is like, wow, you mean I don't need to kill it, demolish it, uh, surgically remove that part of myself out of my life or the part that feels like they need to lose weight in order to feel good about themselves. We can appreciate and admire all of the places that we think are actually mucking it up the most. Yeah, because we're doing it for a reason, right? We're, oftentimes we're doing these things to keep ourselves safe. One of the beliefs that you helped me uncover was this feeling of, so when I got sick, I didn't have any answers. Nobody, I didn't feel like anyone could really help me. Nobody, I, I felt like I had to do everything myself. You were like, well, what did you decide during that time? I decided that I felt like I had to do everything myself. And so because I had that deep belief system about myself, I it kept seeing it re-manifested in so many other ways, like at home, in my work, out, you know, in my family. It was like, I felt like I was doing everything myself and I was exhausted. Um, and so seeing that belief was really helpful. But then also loving that part of myself because that part of me, the reason that it's there was because it was, it was keeping me safe, right? It was keeping me safe because if I wasn't going to do it, then nobody else was. And that was the thing that kept me safe. Um, and that's a big thing that comes up in the work that you do is like these beliefs that we've built to keep ourselves safe. And that's something to, to be really proud of of ourselves versus to judge, right? These beliefs. What did you experience, Aaron, when you started having that, a different kind of relationship to that part of yourself that felt like you had to do everything yourself? What was it like for you to go through that process? Um, it was eye-opening and it was also, I have noticed that since I realized that, um, I have been able, I've opened myself up to trusting other people more. Um, and I just, I feel a lot less tired around it, if that makes any sense. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, it definitely, it was, it's a pretty cool thing. Because the, the other side of the coin too, I have to do everything myself is I'm the only person I can really depend on. Exactly. And so you start unraveling that and then you get all these new resources. And you start to pull the string on that. And I see how far back that belief system goes, like as, as far back as day one, which it, which was crazy for me. It's like, oh, this has been, this has been a belief all of my life. So no wonder why I keep showing up in so many different areas of my life. And so would you say that scleroderma or the diagnosis, the weird diagnosis of scleroderma um, or the questionable one helped kind of put you into this place where you would examine it? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that. I often look at, at having the illness as a gift now because it has taught me a lot about myself and what I'm capable of. And, um, and so, yeah, it has allowed me to examine a lot of different things. It's a really great, thing to share with everybody of how you've sort of walked yourself through it um, because suffering is so difficult for us to reconcile. Um, but when we reorient these hard things that happened to us, which is like, wow, <clears throat> that belief that you had of having to do everything yourself or that you're the only person that you can depend on probably touches a lot of places in your life, not just your health, but your relationships and your business. So it was like a, a tool of transformation where you identified something inside of yourself. And then by appreciating it and forgiving it and seeing how effective it was as a tool for you, 
then you actually get free of it. And they build that knowledge that you can apply to all parts of your life. And how cool is that? Is like the thing that I view as my Achilles heel, my, my health, right? Is, has become this vehicle for transformation for my entire life. Brought to you by the television show called Scleroderma. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's one, another question that I want to ask because I think it's kind of timely. We're hearing, you know, and it sort of ties into what we're talking about now because in, you know, going back, going back to old beliefs, we might start to uncover some some trauma, right? And um, I, I read this quote from, it's, she's from a, it's from a uh, integrative physical therapist that works primarily with women. Um, a woman's pelvis is where her energetic sensation of safety rests. And pelvic floor dysfunction is so common. I'm just seeing it more because I work in a physical therapy office that caters to pelvic floor dysfunction, but it's very common. It's very under discussed, but what we're seeing with this whole me too movement and discussing rape culture on a very public platform, right? Like this is being talked about now. Um, so many women are coming forward and saying like, yeah, I have experienced, I've experienced some type of abuse or trauma. And now we could be talking about sexual abuse and trauma or something else, but I would love for you to hear, to talk, I would love to hear you talk about how trauma or lack of safety, like we were talking about earlier, can play out physically in the body. What, what's the, the intersection there? I know it's something that you do see in your practice and how do you, you know, how do you approach that? I mean, I think it's a lot of what we're talking about right now. Yeah. So our cells are trained by emotional messages that are sent to them. So even when we look at the ACE study, so the ACE study is 17,000 people that showed that dysfunction contributors like trauma um, contributes to health problems later. And we, so we can see this like through cortisol issues or PTSD or motility issues. But then what if we went deeper and we, um, you know, we looked at that, this, uh, you know, abandoning, humans are going to have an experience of feeling abandoned and a lack of safety as a vehicle or an opportunity to reorient what it, um, that they can't ever really be abandoned by their own loving and that there's a different orientation to safety that they can have inside of themselves. And so uh, first I recommend working with a trauma therapist or someone who really understands trauma to help you sort through the, the, the heavy lifting with a lot of this. But the other part too is, is that there's some really profound opportunities um, because when we go through trauma, then we usually decide something that's not true about ourselves. Like I must be unlovable. Um, and so we go through the experience of thinking that we're unlovable and we gain all these experiences through feeling like we're going to be unlovable because the universe is going to keep giving that to us because it loves us so much to get that worked out until we decide that um, nothing that happens to us can uh, break that bond of security and safety that we can have with ourselves at any moment in time. So it helps us get that worked out and it helps build that knowledge. Because usually when we go through a traumatic event, we abandon ourselves in some way. We abandon um, our worth or our value or our lovability or our safety or we decide vulnerability isn't safe, a safe option. So there's that, which is very difficult. And then there's the other part, which is when we go through and re we heal that piece by loving the parts of ourselves that hurt and hold those misunderstandings, we come out with a different and a new and a more effective uh, safety container for ourselves. Did I answer that question the right way? I think so. I don't think there was a right or wrong, but that it's, I mean, it's really finding, finding the safety within, within ourselves, right? Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we're coming up on an hour and we, I, we do have a lot of health coaches and other nutritionists that listen to this show. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about, um, your Institute for spiritual coaching. Um, so that is something that, 
uh, by the way, congratulations for having an institute. That's kind of a big deal. Um, but I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that, especially, you know, if people coming to it, they're like, well, why, you know, why do I need this? How is this different than other energy forms of energy medicine? Um, how is this different or new from other spiritual coaching things out there? Um, and I mean, I could speak from my experience, but I think it's better to hear it from the horse's mouth. <laughs> well, I'd love to hear your experience too. Um, but I'll start by saying that, um, first is, is that, um, we can only go as far with our clients as we've gone with ourselves. And, and so, uh, that, that's prompts us to do an inquiry. And so this kind of work was really built out of the need that I kept seeing um, of people who want to do a, a deeper kind of transformational work through the diagnosis that they've gotten or through the circumstances of suffering that they're experiencing right now. Um, and this program is slightly different in that it doesn't teach a modality per se, but it teaches you how to be in a certain kind of consciousness for your clients where both you and them can access um, a different kind of experience through hard things. Um, and, and so as a practitioner, what we do is uh, guide everybody through for six months um, the transformational work inside themselves so that they can understand through their own experiences what it feels like to touch their loving to the places that need their loving inside their body and inside their experiences that hold misunderstandings or false beliefs. When we do that, we retune our frequency of healing, which is there's a very big difference when you go see a practitioner. When you go to a practitioner and they're looking at you and in their mind they're thinking, I can fix you, I can fix you, versus another practitioner who says, I can love you, I can love you and I believe that nothing inside of you is actually broken. It's a different kind of radio frequency that we can tune into as practitioners. And I like this program because it really um, uh, works with the belief system um, and the spiritual system that you have, and it's very experiential. And you take that experience and sort of widen the container of how you heal, and then you extend it out. Because clients who feel um, confused or alone or upset or hopeless can actually tune in to that vibration, a different kind of vibration or choice, which is everything here. Everything is here to help me. And as a practitioner, we can't really tune into that radio frequency or that vibration unless we've had an experience where everything is here to help me. So it's really the foundational work of it. Yeah. And I, and it's, I love what you first said about, um, kind of doing the work yourself as the practitioner, because you really can only go, you can only help somebody as much as you've been able to help yourself. And, um, that is the, <laughs> the biggest thing that we've done over this, the past six months is, um, really look at our own stuff and how to, to manage that. And in doing so, it's given me tools as a practitioner to help other people access that same stuff. It's not like a protocol where I'm like, okay, step one with my clients, step two. It's not, it's not that at all. It's saying, all right, I've been through this, you know, I've experienced something similar. And so now I'm going to be able to provide, um, some tools for you to do it. Right. Yes. Um, yes. So I would highly, highly, highly recommend checking out Jessica's work. And um, when does that, when does your next, next one start? Do you still have space in the November group? Um, a couple of spaces left. Uh, that starts November 14th. And six, it's a six month, six month um, inquiry. Uh, and then uh, we'll start another one um, probably at, at late, late summer. Uh, late summer? Yeah, because wow. we're going to, yeah, we're going to, um, right now I have uh, two groups going and then I'm starting a third. Um, so we're going to just focus on this one group right now um, for the next six months. Awesome. Yeah. Very good. And our website is, should be done maybe by the time this podcast airs. So it's the Institute of Spiritual Coaching.com. And where else can people find you, Jessica? 
So I am on Instagram. I changed my Instagram name um, to The Loving Diet. So my Instagram's The Loving Diet. Anyone can private message me there. Um, or uh, people can email me as well, info at AIPlifestyle.com. Awesome, Jessica. It was such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. And um, I know everyone's going to get a lot out of this episode. I really appreciate you having me as a guest. It was a huge honor. I've been looking forward to this, Erin. Um, and I, I just want to thank you for you all the good work that you're doing. Um, I follow you so closely on social media, so I'm a big fan of you. So I just want to thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you.